Lord God, we just thank you uh, for today. And God, we do pray for more workers for the harvest. You asked us to pray for that uh, 2,000 years ago. And Lord, here we are still praying for that. And, and really here in the Pacific Northwest, Lord, we, we know that, that the need is great. So Lord, would you prepare more Derek Dickinsons to come into places that desperately needed to hear the gospel. God, that we would go out and, and that we would do the work that you've called us to do. But God, I pray right now as we begin to open up your word that you would speak to us through your word, that you would challenge us, that you would exhort us. Father, that, that, that you would um, refine us in you. So God, we give this time to you and it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Well, have you ever had one of those moments where you did something that you knew was wrong. You know that thing that we might call sin? You know that, that, that moment when you said to yourself as you're doing it, or maybe after the fact, you said, why did I just do that? And if you've ever done that, can I tell you this? You're not alone. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been wrestling with this question, why did I just do that? You know, I really believe that we all have a sin of choice that we end up faltering for. We, we, we do our best to, to walk away from it, and then when we're weak, we fall victim to it. And sometimes it feels like we fall for it over and over and over and over again. It can sometimes feel like we're on this vicious merry-go-round that, that there's ultimately no way to get off. We, 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 we come around, we're like, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry I did that. And then we find ourselves back in the same spot again. And, and can I suggest that I think the struggle comes from this continued thought process that, that we're never good enough? <laughs> that, that maybe we're always feeling this berating feeling that we have, and, and can I just tell you that today, my hope, my prayer is that today as we, as we dive into the text that we're going to dive into, that, that we actually learn why we might feel this way, but not only that, but, but really what we can do about it, and really who we are in Jesus, that's where we're going to find ourselves today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter 7. We'll be there in just a moment, but it's here where Paul is going to exhort us to avoid sin and ultimately to pursue righteousness. And it all begins with this. It begins with our obedience to God. Our obedience to God should come from our hearts, from, from inside of us. Now, a little background. Just, Paul's just finished up reminding us that we have died to sin and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. That was chapter 6, right? That's the beginning of chapter 6. And because of this, we're exhorted to let not sin reign in our bodies, but to present ourselves to God as we pursue righteousness. And then in the latter half of chapter 6, Paul asks this question, should we sin because we are covered by God's grace? To which the answer was a resounding no, right? Why? Because he says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. But it's at this point where Paul actually steps into chapter 7 and continues this exhortation. I just want to read for us the first six verses of Romans chapter 7. I'm reading out of the ESV translation, so if it's slightly different than yours, that's likely why. It says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. 
Uh, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we are living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were work in our members to bear fruit for death. Verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now what Paul is doing here is he's circling back to this idea that we are not under the law. And we may think that we solved that in chapter 6. So why in the world is he spending another chapter dealing with it again? And let's remember that Paul is writing to Christians who live in Rome... And many of them were either Jews or came out of Judaism and they became Christians, or they are people who are well acquainted with the law of God. And so, in other words, he probably assumes that these are people who would struggle with this idea of of being under grace instead of being under the law. Now, what we have to understand about the law is that the law isn't just the Ten Commandments. You know, oftentimes when we think of the law of God, we think of, of those ten, right? The two tablets that Moses carried down off the mountain, and we think those are the laws of God. But, but did you know that there's actually 613 different laws recorded in the Old Testament? 613. That is a lot of laws. And those, those were the laws that the Jews were expected to keep. And so in this text here, Paul's obviously not trying to unpack all 613, but he actually comes to the idea of marriage to show us an example of how we're no longer under the old covenant, the old law, but under the new covenant of grace. So in marriage, we are ultimately bound to one another. Now, if you are married or if you plan on being married, there's this phrase that we typically say in our vows that goes something like this, uh, to love and to cherish until... Do we part? To love and to cherish until death do we part, right? Marriage is a relationship that is intended to last until one of the partners dies. In in that moment, then we are released from this commitment and we are free to remarry, as Paul writes here in Romans 7, but also as he writes in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, where he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be remarried to whom she wishes only in the Lord. So, So Paul here in this text in Romans chapter 7 is using this analogy of marriage to say that we have died to the law, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. You see, it was Jesus' death, his shedding of his blood, that broke the curse of the law, which ultimately was death. We are all to die for our sins, right? But Jesus died in our place, and because of his death on the cross, we now have a new opportunity for new life That only comes in Jesus for those who believe. Because we are released from this law, this is the cool part, is that we are given the opportunity to pursue, this is a big word, sanctification. 
Sanctification is, is a big word that simply means this, is that we get to reflect the character of God in our lives. In other words, it's a way for us to begin to reflect Jesus, to become more like Jesus, you might say, as we grow in our maturity with him. Now, now Paul says this in Romans 6.22. The slide is wrong. It's not 5.22. If you actually go try to find 5.22, it's not there. Typo. Sorry about that. But Romans 6.22, which you guys talked about last week, says this. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He, he says here that, that you get this fruit that leads to sanctification. I don't think he's talking about bananas and papayas and, and apples and grapes. That's not the type of fruit he's talking about, is he? What type of fruit would Paul be talking about? Well, over in Galatians 5, through 24, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I want you to notice here that it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Have you ever noticed that? Singular, not plural. Which means what? It means we don't get to pick and choose what fruit we think we need to have today. We, we, we don't get to go there and say, you know what, today I feel like being patient with my husband. Tomorrow I don't. <laughs> We, we, we don't get to, to, to go and say, you know what, um, I think tomorrow I'll be kind to my kids, but man, they've been a pain in the rear today, so nope, they don't get that. We, we don't get to say, you know what, I, I want to be faithful to God today, but tomorrow it's a question mark. As we walk with Jesus, this is a natural byproduct of our walking with him, of our journeying of him, with him, of us becoming more like him. That sanctification is that we will begin to produce these items. It's kind of like a barometer of our spiritual life, you might say. That this is a natural byproduct for those who are living in Jesus. So can I ask an obvious question, or at least what I think is an obvious question? Does grace... Thus mean that the law itself is bad. This is where Paul goes next in verses 7 through 12. He says this. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life provided, uh, proved to me, proved to be death to me. Verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Does grace mean that the law is bad? No. No. The, the, the law is not bad. It, it's actually, you might say, a guideline on how we are to live a holy life. But as we all know, I mean, this is almost impossible for us to do on our own, isn't it? I mean, for, for us to do this, it is difficult. What the law does is it shows us how we should live our lives, and, and thus it points out the uncomfortableness of when we falter, of when we do something we shouldn't do. So what does Paul do? He pulls an illustration from the law, and he says, just look at this. Let's see how this shoe fits on you. 
And what does he pick out? He picks out coveting, which comes from one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 where it says this. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, can we be honest just for a moment? I mean, how many of us have ever struggled with coveting? Don't raise your hands. I mean, maybe it's not in the area of like, oh, I don't know, uh, servants and farm animals. But what about that first part? Don't covet your neighbor's house. You know, we live in some really interesting times right now. And, and I have served the, the local church full time for, for 18 years. And for the last 10-ish, I've been in a couple different uh, locations. And, and can I just tell you that? I have not had the pleasure and the honor of, of selling a house for an exorbitant amount of money and be able to walk into another place and buy cash. Like, I just haven't. Like, I've always sold at the wrong time. Anyone been there? Okay, maybe a few of you. And this is where the challenge comes in, and maybe you've experienced this part of it, is, is you come in and you can afford what you can afford, and then you got this crazy Californian, I don't know if any of you are this way, but you get this crazy Californian that moves into a place like Idaho, which is known for saying, if you're from California, go home. Does Alaska do that to people? Okay, good. So we're kind of in the same boat here, right? But they come in with these gobs of money for selling their 800 square foot house with a swimming pool for $5 million dollars whatever it might be, and then they walk in, they're like, they pay cash to this beautiful home that's like 4,000 square foot, and it's got like three or four acres, and, and they've got all this beautifully manicured lawns, and, and all of a sudden you're sitting there going, why not me? And it's really easy to look at what they have and go, I want what they have. Maybe this is the thing that we can relate to a little bit more, of looking and deeply longing for what other people But here's the deal. This coveting, it's just an example. Because I think a lot of us can relate to it that Paul references. But maybe it's not a house that you covet. Maybe there is something else that your neighbor has that you really wish that you had, that, that you long for. And if coveting isn't your issue, then here's the deal. I think there's probably something else. There's nine other commandments on those two tablets, but... But remember, there's 603 other ones that we didn't even address. See, I think we all struggle with something. And we can talk a long time about how the law of God points out our failures and how we don't match up to it. But I want to kind of turn the tables on us a little bit. And and I want to shift our attention to, to actually the benefits of the law of God. And I think Paul gives three of them in this text here in Romans 7. The, the, the first thing he says is that the law, it's humbling, verse 9. He, he says that I was alive apart from the law, which is interesting, isn't it? You know, and here's the deal, is we can think we're a good person all day long, that, that, that we are doing good things, we're nice to our neighbors, and we do all these things, and, and because of that, man, we're, we're, we're solid, right? But, but, but it's the law that reveals our sin, and because it reveals our sin, it humbles us as it's revealing our failures. And listen, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes we look at it and go, man, I'm not as good a person. That's good because why? Well, we'll get to it in a moment, I think. But Jesus is obviously where we need to go. And that's what the law might point us to, right? But the law is also this. It's holy, righteous, and good. Uh, Paul mentions that in verse 12. He, he not only encourages us to live holy lives, did you know it commands us to? The apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16. He says, as obedient children, 
Uh, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, speaking of God, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Those are actually the words of God quoted from the Old Testament that Peter is referencing. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we haven't read verse 14 yet. We'll get there in just a moment. But, but if we jump down to it, we'll also see that the law is spiritual. That, that, that ultimately, the law of God, it, it reaches our core, it goes to our spirit. What do I mean by that? Have you ever read Hebrews 4.12? It says this. It says, for the word of God, that would be from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. So the entirety of the Bibles that we have, that's this. For the word of God, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you've ever wondered why when you read of the word of God, your heart is pricked, and you're challenged, and maybe you're driven to repentance, you're driven to change, it's not because it's just some awesome novel, it's because it's the word of God. In the Word of God, it's living and active, and it pierces us to the core. The law of God does that too. Now, we can recognize that the law is good, or, or, or even that we are not, uh, even though we're not under it, but, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be obedient to God. You know, at the same time, we have to recognize this, that, that our struggle with sin as Christians will always be a struggle, that the, the law itself is not what makes us struggle with sin. It just points out our sin. We are sinful by nature, and Paul writes about this in verses 13 through 20, where he says this. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me, through, though it was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 16, now if I do what I want, excuse me, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I want, excuse me, (laughs) this is kind of a word salad if you haven't figured that out. Yeah. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin that dwells within me. Man, Paul has a way with words. And we can sit here, and, and, and here's the deal. That section I just read is probably one of the most hotly debated topics in Scripture, if not the book of Romans specifically. It is a, there's a lot there, but let me just kind of go kind of at, at a surface level here. What Paul is saying here is that there is sin in us that we battle. He references it in the books of Colossians as well. In Colossians 3, 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He references sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, here's the deal. This is what Paul's getting at in all of this. No one is exempt from sinning. No one. 
In Romans 3.23, you guys probably dealt with this earlier in the series. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But why? Why? Why as humans do we battle with this? Why do we battle with sin? And, and I just want to make a suggestion. We could probably go a lot of different ways here. But I want to suggest one thing. I think that maybe it could be because we believe the lie that Satan started telling in the Garden of Eden. You know what that lie is? In Genesis 3, verse 1, it says this. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Have you ever listened to this lie before? You wonder if what you're about to do is something that God would say you shouldn't do. And, and, and so you start processing this, and you, and you have this lie spoken to you. Did, did, did God really say that you shouldn't do this? Uh, did God really say you shouldn't be doing that? Did God really say that that was wrong? Did God really say, did God really say, and all of a sudden what we begin doing is we begin to justify our actions, thinking that we can jump through any number of hoops in order to make us feel like we're doing what we should be doing, but ultimately we're doing what we shouldn't be doing. And it all starts with us believing that one little lie. Did God really say? Now, ultimately, what's happening is there's a war raging within us. That's what's going on. In fact, Paul goes on in verses 21 through 25 as we finish out the chapter saying this. He says, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Then in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You know, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, uh, he might put it just slightly different. He says this. He says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, but he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, here's the deal, when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. It's that fleshly desire that we have. And then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it's fully grown, brings forth to death. It could be so easy, couldn't it? Just to throw in the towel and just say, why do we even try? There's no way out. I'm on this merry-go-round that just keeps going round and round and round, and every time I try to get my hands on top of this thing, man, this sin just keeps coming after me. And it can seem like we're, we're destined for a life of struggle, but I think it's, it's an easy place for us to go, when we're not spending time in the Word. When we're not reminded of this one important truth, but God. But God is greater than our worst sin. I don't know what your sin is. I don't know which one it is that if I were to call you up here and put you on the stage and please tell us what your deepest, darkest sin, the one that you don't even want your spouse to know about, would you please announce it to all of us, to everyone who's streaming online? Would, would you please tell the world what your deepest, darkest sin is? That's the sin I'm talking about. That, that, that sin that, that just keeps you down. Here's the, God is greater than that very sin you're thinking about right now. 
And I'm sure you're going to deep diaper in, deep diaper deeper, there we go, deeper into this this next week as you go into Romans 8. But in 8.1, this is what he says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your sin, your sin is not greater than God. God is greater than your sin. And in him, listen, we are no longer condemned. We are redeemed. We're redeemed from our sin because of what Jesus did on the cross. And because we're redeemed, listen, we are restored to live in this new life with the Spirit of God. Does that mean we're not going to struggle with our sin? Absolutely not. We're all going to deal with it. It's just the reality of this life. I mean, Paul reminds us of this in Galatians 3 where he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That would be you and I. If you're not a Jew, you're Gentile. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. When we're in Jesus, we are not alone. We have the spirit of God in us. And that's an amazing thing. That, that, that when we're sitting there and we're battling our sin, we have the Spirit of God there to help us navigate that time. We, we, we have the Spirit of God there reminding us that we shouldn't be walking into it. Now, are there times we ignore the Spirit? Absolutely. And we go in and we just do what we want to do. But, but listen, we need to recognize that God is greater. And if you're here today and you've never given God your life, if you've never said yes to following him, you need to. Because on your own, you're just going to keep going around on that merry-go-round. The only way to truly get off it is through Jesus. That's the only way. And maybe today needs to be that day of salvation for you, that day that you say yes to following Jesus, that day that you say yes to him in the waters of even baptism. It's our sin that has separated us from God. And did you know that baptism is a beautiful reflection of what Jesus did to save us? That, that we, are, we, are, we are buried and we are raised to walk in the newness of life. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and he was raised three days later so that he could conquer death. So that he could conquer our sin. The sins that we commit. And if we have not given our lives to Jesus, man, today's the day to do it. Because it's in Jesus that our condemnation, which is found in the law, is eradicated by his grace. And if you need Jesus, man, today, would you come talk to Evan? Would you come talk to Tony? Would you come talk to myself? Would you come talk to us about this Jesus who desperately wants to be in a relationship with you, who, def- who desperately wants to walk with you and journey with you and help you be close to God, to know him, and to have someone who's there by your side, someone who has redeemed you and who wants to restore you? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you for today. We just thank you for this opportunity that we've had just to wrestle through Romans 7. And and God, today, if there are things that we have done that that are not honoring to you, there's things that are on our mind, Father, that that we have yet to repent of. God, would you just lead us through that? That we could get back right with you, Father? Maybe we're on this merry go round just going around and around and around. And and the reality is that we need to get off that, Father. That, that, That we need to to find you, Father. Would you also help us to stop believing the lies that we're told? And even that simple one of, did you really say that we shouldn't be doing this? Or even maybe it's a, did, did, 
the why that, that might say, did God really say? And, and, and God, I just pray that you would help us to discern truth. God, that you'd help us to walk in your truth. And Father, that you would remind us often that we are redeemed by your Son. And because we're redeemed, we are restored to walk in the newness of life. God, for those here today who have not said yes to you, would you just, would you, would you just be working in their lives? God, would you call them? Would you beckon them? Would you give them the courage to stand out, to come and to talk? Father, that they can experience your grace through belief. God, we give this to you, and it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.